All right, guys, welcome back to our next episode of Setting Our Thoughts Captive. I am Chitis Gimire. I'm Daytona Johnson. And we welcome you back on our next episode where we look into different topics, different things, different events through the lens of the scripture. And we want to thank you guys for tuning with us every week and listening to our podcast. Hopefully, this has been a blessing to you guys as it has been to us. Uh, let me begin with a simple historical fact. All right? We have in our access <laughs> uh, English Bible in our hand. And I love history. I love church history. And, and I was reading through this that... Uh, the first person to translate the Bible into English language was John Wycliffe. And right after he translated the Bible into English, uh, he died and they buried all his work, even his translation, because the church didn't want lay person or normal person, normal church goer to have a Bible in their own language. They wanted people to depend upon their Latin translation, their interpretation, to understand the scripture and just gives us the fact the value of what we have in our hand that we get to study God's word in our own language uh, certainly after that William Tyndale became the first person to really translate the, translate the Bible into English and hand it over to a layperson and then comes King James and then now we have all times of all types of different translations we have Bible in our phone we have Bible in our computer in in a hardcover you know, we are so blessed that we have God's spoken word in such free access. So, so Tyndale was the first person to translate it into English. English and then hand it over to people. But Wycliffe was the first person who translated it, but his work got buried away. They burned he, it away. What did he translate it? From? To German or? No, what? from Latin to English. Latin to English. Mm -hmm. okay. Wycliffe translated from Latin to English. They burned it away. So it was all gone. And then Tyndale translated it. So right now, if you look at it, like there's big organizations like Wycliffe Translation, Tyndale Translation, they all come from with a tribute to the, those mighty gotcha. men. Gotcha. And so actually, King James used Tyndale's translation to translate his. Gotcha. So just just a small piece of history. You know, we have we have so much uh, to be thankful to these men for doing all types of. I mean, these guys literally sacrificed their life for for really bringing the Bible in our own language. Yeah, and it's it just goes to show you too, like no matter what man tries to do to destroy God's word, um, God God still preserves his Absolutely. word and his truth. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, we can try to destroy it, but all we'll do is help to spread it, <laughs> right? <laughs> to be honest. But yeah. said that, that's our uh, little historical fact. Uh, Today, we want to talk about the topic, I think, in my opinion, is one of the most debated topic, but I think it's also one of the most comforting and one of, one, one of those doctrines that gives me a lot of confidence. And the doctrine that we want to talk about today is the doctrine of election or doctrine of predestination. And we're not talking about election that's happening in November. We're talking about election that happened before the foundation of the earth, right? Yeah. And so let's let's start. Let's jump into this. Uh, what is the doctrine of election or predestination? That one. Um, well, election uh, is God choosing uh, some people 
to be saved before the creation of the world. Um, and it's not based on any merit of, you know, from, from that individual, uh, but it's based upon God's sovereignty. Mm. I love that last part. It's not based on any merit, but it's based on His sovereignty, right? And, and that's what election is. And I think the best place to really understand this much debated topic would be by really going to the scripture. And mm-hmm. uh, in Ephesians 1, 3 to 5, I think it's a classic verse of understanding the doctrine of election. And I think, I think Jetuan, you mentioned that this, was, this verse was really key in your life to, to really be persuaded in this doctrine, right? Yeah, I, um, I, uh, when I read this, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 5, like, I was arrested by it. I mm. mean, um, you know, you, you're doing your Bible study, you're doing your, your time in the Word, and, um, you know, so I'm laying in bed, and I'm just reading, and I'm like, okay, let's do Ephesians. And I get to um, verse 3, mm. and everything's going good. Everything's going good. Like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm sure everyone has had this moment when mm-hmm. they read something from Scripture where it's just like, wait, pump the brakes. Right. <laughs> you know, you can't just gloss over something. It, mm-hmm. it, you come across something that just you have to stop. And so I came across verse 4, and I couldn't read anymore. Mm. I couldn't read anymore. I had to, because my view on certain uh, certain things, as far as like uh, God choosing us, man's free will, all of these things came to a head when I got to verse four, mm-hmm. and I tried to stumble through and get to verse five. And when I got to verse five, I said I had to stop reading. Right. Not in not in terms of. Not in terms that I didn't want to hear God's word, but I had to stop reading because it was just those two verses was just too much to just keep reading mm. and and not turn it over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. So I stopped reading. It, it was time. It was time to go to bed anyway. Right. But I, <laughs> so I stopped reading, but I really couldn't sleep that night. Yeah. So yeah. So no. I I came across these verses and. Uh, they have meant a huge amount in terms of what I believe about election. Mm. You know, why, why don't we go and like read those verses real quick? Sure. Uh, verse 3 to 5. Sure. Go ahead and read those verses. These are the verses that kept that one up all night. So <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and look at what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Good. Mm -hmm. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Mm. You know, I want to read verse 11 alongside that. I think that that summarizes that. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having, having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Hmm. So right here, I mean, a few things that we notice, and we're going to come back to this verse again, but just to like begin with, so like like Detuan mentioned, if you are if you want to like really summarize what doctrine of election is, you know, it's God choosing some people before the foundation of the world, not based on the merit, but based solely on His sovereignty according to His own will, mm-hmm. right? And and let me let me uh, rephrase the let me uh, reemphasize this to people. You might not have heard of uh, election. You might not have heard of predestination in your church. But let me tell you this: every church believes in doctrine of election and doctrine of predestination what they believe about it differs right every church has some say about doctrine of predestination because it's in the bible you cannot escape it the word is in the bible you cannot run away from it so both election and predestination are the words that we found in the bible and and so but the majority of question that people have is what they believe about this doctrine so the debate right now in the world is that whenever we hear about the doctrine of election or doctrine of predestination, the first word that comes to mind is Calvin's, Calvinist. Mm-hmm. When people think about election, predestination, the first thing that comes to the mind is Calvinist doctrine. Yep. And yes, Calvin did famously teach election. Calvin did famously teach predestination. We owe so much to him for all the work that he has done in this particular but doctrine. But he's not the only one. But he's not the only one. Yeah. Yep, he's not the one who started to begin with. The Apostle right? Paul. Apostle Paul. I mean, if Paul believed it. The Bible teaches it. So it should, it's got to be true. Jesus mentioned it. Jesus mentioned it. And so is the, Calvin is the one who made it famous, I would say. But he's not the one who started it. In fact, if we go back to the history of church, right? I'm going wait, back wait, to the history. Wait, wait, yeah. Before we go to the history, because... Um, I just want to walk really quickly in a vein that helped me. Yeah. You know, cuz cuz a lot of times when you're reading when you read this something out of the Old Testament, something out of the New Testament and you don't understand it or it doesn't jive mm. with what you think. Yeah. You know, usually my and I say this like um I'm not proud of this, yeah. but I say it to say like this this helped me and this is the route that I mm. took in order to come to the conclusion that I came to. Yeah. So the first thing that a lot of people will do is say, okay, that's what it says. That's how we translated it to English. But what did it really mean in the Greek? Mm. So so when I read these, like, yeah. like I said, I tossed and turned all night. The next day I said, ha, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to look it up in the Greek because yeah. it may not mean exactly what it sounds like in the English. Mm-hmm. So you look up the word um, chose from uh, verse four um, and it's eklogamai. I believe that's how you pronounce it, eklogamai. And when you look at what that word means, <laughs> I literally was in the same spot when I yeah. looked it up. It says to pick out. Mm-hmm choose or to pick or choose out for oneself Hmm. Um, so and then it gives some examples of where that word uh, or how it functioned and so it goes on to say choosing one out of many for example jesus choosing his disciples Um, 
of God choosing whom he judged fit to receive his favors and separated from the rest of mankind to be peculiar his peculiarly his own and to be attended continually by his gracious oversight. Um, and so in that example, it's kind of, uh, it uses the example of the Israelites. Um, but literally, it's to select. Hmm. Yeah. So when you read the word to choose, it literally means to choose. Just choose, yeah. It's, there's no there's other a hidden, explanation. Hidden meaning, yeah. It's to choose. Right. And then just for the other ones, predestined. If we look at predestined as well, um, the word is pre or rezo. I'm not good with, with all the Greek stuff. <laughs> um, but the word means to predetermine or mm. decide beforehand. So um, predestination is God choosing or deciding before anything. Well, yeah. So and as we look at the history and some more things, we'll see this play out within the scriptures. Right. And, and, and based on those definitions of choosing and predestination, there has always been a massive debate among Christians. Mm -hmm. and, and it starts way all the way, it roots all the way back to 4th century where the church decided to have a debate. And there's, there's this guy named Augustine, who I think is one of the greatest theologians of all time. And he's debating against Pelagius. And the main question in this, and, and it, it is relation to choosing and predestination, the main question is how important is the grace of God in one's salvation? The grace of God and uh, man's free will. Man's free will, right? So how important is God's grace? Is it, is it fully dependent on God's grace or is there man's free will in it when it comes to salvation? Mm -hmm. Now, first... Pelasius, he believed that the grace of God assists human to be saved, but is in no way necessary. So in, in short, what he believed that man in his own natural fallen state has within himself the capability to keep the commandment of God in such a way that he can redeem himself without any help from divine grace. Now, I don't think that's an issue right now because that is a work-based theology and I think that is completely incompatible with the Bible. So if you, if you believe in that, that you have the capability to redeem yourself and save yourself, I would have to doubt that you're even a Christian, according to the Bible. So that's something that I would not even pay more attention to. Mm -hmm. Augustine debated that, that man is absolutely dependent upon the grace of God to be for salvation. Emphasis, absolute dependent on the grace of God for, for sinner salvation. Now, between then and now, what happened was there is this movement that came out, which was called semi-Pelagianism. Famously now might be known as Arminianism. That say that man cannot be saved apart from grace of God. So they agree with that, which is good. But there is something that man must do in their free will to cooperate with the grace of God to be saved. So basically, man cannot be saved from grace of God, but it is up to man to either accept or reject the grace of God in their life to be saved. Mm -hmm. Now that is a prevalent debate that is happening within the churches, within the believers. First is the Augustinian view, 
also known as Calvinist. Mm -hmm. Second is a semi-Pelagian view, also known as Arminianist. And I think like um, the the view that um, it's up to you to respond, mm. um, to choose, so to decide mm -hmm. um, if you will follow Christ um, or not, is um, that is probably the most, I think is the most... Um, Accepted. Accepted mm -hmm. or followed view, yeah. uh, especially in the United States. It's Absolutely. like you, you hear like the altar calls mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of uh, churches, you know, yeah. will tell you, you don't have to stay the same. Right. You can change today. Right. Come now. If you don't want to be the same, come. Right. Like it's, you know, make a decision to follow right. God today. Right. And I think that is, and that was the view that I had. Yeah. Until I read Ephesians. Yes, yeah. and that is the view that I had until I wrestled with the whole idea of, of really God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And, and, you know, just going back at this, right, I mean, when we think about the guys who really followed Augustinian view, I mean, Augustine, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, I mean, these are, these are some heavy hitters in the Bible that mm -hmm. followed Augustinian or Calvinist view. So even if you're not a Calvinist, I think these guys, the name of these guys, give us enough reason to at least view what they believe. At least give, a, give a attention to what they believe. Now, I'm not going to deny there are some heavy hitters or, or great theologians in Arminian view too, or semi-Pelagians view too, like John Wesley, Arminius, Erasmus, Pelagius. So some of the modern, like, who do you know modern guys who be, would believe in Augustinian or Calvinist view? Some good uh, examples now? of, yeah, now. Uh, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, yeah. Uh, John MacArthur, John MacArthur. Tim Keller, mm -hmm. Mike Fabares, mm -hmm. uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, yeah. Yeah. And there are some guys that are, that are affirmed to semi-Pelagianists who are also great, great Christians. I mean, I, I'm thinking about Billy Graham. Well-known evangelist. Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Adrian Adrian Rodgers. Yep. Aaron Not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Adrian Rodgers. Norman Geisler. He's, he's in Dallas Theological Seminary. And I think Ravi Zacharias would have been the, in that same, same category too. Mm -hmm. In fact, I mean, like Detuan said, most of the evangelical Christians in the church today in the United States affirm to the Arminianistic view or semi-Pelagianistic view. Yeah, and, and you know, like... Um, when I when I came to the conclusion that I came to, mm -hmm. and I, I shared it with my wife, and she was Armenian in her view as well, mm. uh, and it took her a while to come around, um, but eventually she did. Mm. And then one of my one of my best friends, um, he knows who he is. Mm -hmm. He was also Armenian, and then yeah. I shared this with him and. And he was just like, I don't know. But, you know, in both cases, like, and I think the right response with any Christian uh, is even if you initially reject this, mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. You know, but I think you should also search the scriptures, mm -hmm. uh, not just, no, I don't believe that, yeah. but actually take it upon yourself mm -hmm. to see if it's true or not. Because yeah. if we're talking about God's word and you actually want to know the truth, right. you should seek that out. And and so my good friend, he, he was against it as well. And then he came around. Um, and so our heart in talking about this is not to say like, you're wrong and we're right. Right. Uh, because we both were 
we both were on the other side mm -hmm. and and so we know how hard it is yeah. because in believing this there are some other questions that come about uh with believing this yeah. and, and maybe we'll have time to touch on yeah. those if today maybe not but yeah. um so our heart is not to to kind of right. stomp on Arminian view right but it's just a point to um it's it's just to share truth with you and there's some like you said there's some confidence that comes with it uh, but there also is some blessed assurance that yeah. comes by it as well absolutely absolutely and, and and like like this one said i mean i i wrestled with it for years debated with people went and talked but one thing i didn't do was was one thing i did do was i know i kept on going back to the scripture and I started studying it and I started studying what other commentators say about it different perspective I started hearing different perspective and then you know until I was persuaded by this view and I I wholeheartedly believe that this is the biblical view is is the Augustinian view and that's what we want to pursue you with but we don't want to bring you down because of it I mean believe me we yeah. were all on the other side and you know the one thing that I would say with uh um, Pelagius um, that I think is very important to um, so he believed that great the grace of God assists mm -hmm. a human to be saved mm -hmm. but here's here's the the key part that breaks down his whole view uh, but is in no way necessary, necessary. Mm -hmm. we have I mean we know that grace right. is the reason why salvation is even possible. Right. right. And we also know in Ephesians, it talks about by grace you are saved. Mm -hmm. um, so to believe that grace is not necessary, yeah. there's it's troubling. That's unbiblical. Yeah. At, at best and and that's why that's why i think the whole semi-pelagian view came into play because pelagius i mean there's no way you can biblically be compatible with that idea mm -hmm. so when it comes to predestination right like i said augustinians semi-pelagians calvinists arminianists they all believe in predestination here is how they define predestination i'm going to go through that real quick this is how arminianists would uh, define predestination this is how calvinists would define predestination all right Arminists would believe, they believe that God in his foreknowledge already knows if a person will choose him or reject him. So on the basis of his foreknowledge, if a person is going to choose him or, or, or uh, reject him, God elects or chooses people. Mm -hmm. so, so basically God is electing people based on something that he forces in yeah, us. I'm doing. Of us doing. Yep. Yeah. Whereas Calvinists or Augustinianists, they believe that God, although foreknows and although already knows what we will choose, although he can foresee what our life is going to be like, it has nothing to do with God choosing us because he chooses us and elects us solely on the basis of his love and his grace and his will. So it is solely based on his will and his pleasure and it has nothing to do with what we will do or what we will choose. So what's what's the problem with the Arminian view when you de, when you define it that right. way um, with predestination? Right. What what is the the issue you see with that? Okay. So so the issue that I have is how can a sovereign God relate to a fallen man? Right. So so let's think through this. Say that again. How can a sovereign God 
relate to a fallen sinful human being. Okay. And that's where I'll, I'll come with the issue on that, right? So I see, I see there's four ways a sovereign God can relate to a fallen man. Mm-hmm. And the first one is he can, he can provide salvation to no one, right? Okay. Because he doesn't owe salvation to anyone. Yeah. It's right? not based upon fear. Yep. Nope. And, and so he, he, the, if, if God provides salvation to no one, then the only thing that we can tell to God is that you are a just God. Yes. Right? The second is he can provide equal opportunity to everyone. And this is where Arminius will believe that mm-hmm. he provides equal opportunity to everyone. His grace is available for everyone. And those who will accept him will be saved. Those who reject him will not be saved. Now, to an- the answer to your question, the problem that I see is going back to our few episodes back. The problem that I see is not God, but the problem that I see is man's fallen nature. That man, in his fallen nature, if God did provide equal opportunity for all of us to be saved, man in his fallen nature will never choose God, Mm. will always reject God. So in that case, if God was to provide equal opportunity for all of us to choose him, none of us would be saved. Mm. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. No one seeks after God. None of us are righteous enough to choose him. So there would be no guarantee of anyone being saved. Well, we see, too, in Scripture that um, in order for us to find God, God has to reveal himself. True. Um, you know, the, the problem I see with the Arminian view is where it starts. Mm. The, it, it starts with the view that man has done something. Mm. And that's the issue I have with it. It's... It's not, God is not the initiator. It's man that's the initiator. So man is going to do something to respond to God. And therefore God looks all the way in the future Mm -hmm. and says, oh, he's going to respond to me. Let me save him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So right then and there, it's based upon off what we do and mm-hmm. not what God has done. Absolutely. But that is so contrary to Scripture yeah. in so many different cases. Mm-hmm. Um, if we take, for example, um, uh, the, the verse where it talks about, uh, what is it? Um, we love because He first, first loved us. Loved us. Mm-hmm. You know, when we read in Ephesians, God choosing us, and it all had to do uh, with the basis in love, he predestined us. Mm-hmm. So if if it's God's, if it's not God's love first, but our love for God first, because that's really what it is. Yeah. That's really what it's yeah. saying. It's like, yeah. I love God, so I'm gonna choose him. And then right. it, oh, you love me and you're right. gonna choose me? Let me save right. you. Right. There's a big issue with right. that. Absolutely. If we if we're honest, like God is the one who loved us first, right. and therefore we then respond with it being based upon some work that man has done. Right. Uh, we have a problem there, right. and with the with the Calvinistic view, we're saying God is the one who initiated right. it. Right. And so that the view on that is like the great confidence in God initiating the salvation is that. Not only he initiates this, but he also assures our salvation by saving us, mm-hmm. right? And there's the guarantee that we are going to be saved, yeah. right? And so, so that's the third way that God really ensures salvation is that he ensures salvation to some by really not only, not only providing opportunity, but really like transforming their heart. 
Yeah. And the initial faith that we have, like the, like you mentioned in Ephesians 4, by grace through faith you have been saved, and it is a gift of God. It is not your work, right? Yeah. That it is, uh, is responding to faith. And so, so even the initial faith that we respond to God with, that man's responsibility is given to us by God as gift. And so God not only initiates salvation, but He completes it. Yeah, and so we see our salvation as uh, like we participate in it, right? We avoid sin and stuff, but like really the conversion. Um, so someone coming to preach the word to us, like mm -hmm. there's so much where we're not involved initially, mm. you know? And so, and, and then to think about Philippians, uh, Philippians 1, 6, mm -hmm. being confident of this, that he who began mm -hmm. a good work in you began a good work in not you right he began a good work in you will carry it out carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus right. you know the another verse that sticks out to me um is romans romans uh eight and verse seven um, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for mm. it does not submit to God's mm -hmm. law. Indeed, it cannot. it cannot. So we all start off with a fleshly mind or other translations call it a carnal mind. The carnal mind is an enmity against God. Enmity is just a fancy word for saying enemy of. Right. So our minds are enemies towards God. Mm -hmm. We're hostile towards mm -hmm. God. And so that's why... Um, we're formed and shaped in iniquity. We right. are against God. Right. And that has played out continually throughout um, the start with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And so us to, to say, oh, somehow I'm going to choose God uh, and respond to God without grace, without anything... Mm -hmm. It's just me is mm -hmm. we're basing our, our the, really we're basing the start of our salvation on our own work. On our own choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing about free will, right? Because we're Calvinists, we're not against free will. No. Right? None of the Calvinists is against free will. But what we know is that in our free will, we'll never choose God. That mm -hmm. until and unless God regenerates our heart, intervenes in our life, presents the truth of the gospel to our life, like you mentioned, reveals himself as truth in our life, we will never respond to him in faith. That's why it is all the work of God. So just in case some are getting upset right now. Mm -hmm. So with us being saved, was there any choice on our part? On our part, like yes. what do you mean? So if you say apart from God's grace, we mm -hmm. would never choose God. Yeah. And now that we are claiming to be followers of Christ mm -hmm. and saved, mm -hmm. was there any choosing God in our part? Choosing God on our part? I don't think so. Mm. Like, I would do disagree mean, like, with you. What do you mean? Like, by... um, so when we when we say, um, when we uh, repent, yeah, and um, we repent and we, we just put our faith in Him. We put our faith mm -hmm. in Him. Is there not some active choice on our part? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I agree okay. with that. Yeah, okay. That's, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely on that part. But my contingency on that is that even that active faith that we choose 
is the gift of God that yes. he gives it to us. And that's why we respond. But I do agree that we do respond and we do we do put our faith in him. Yeah. And so are we robots then? No, we're not. Why not? Because because first is like because we have free will. I'll be honest with you, because we have free will. We have free will to do what we want. But the thing is, in our sinfulness, we won't choose God. That's why he has to intervene. When it comes to our salvation, he has to intervene and really, really transform our heart to make the right decision. Right. So so with like an example, mm-hmm. uh, and I know we're kind of getting off topic, but yeah. I, I'm doing this just because the... I guess my heart with certain people who yeah. are struggling with this. Yeah. Like, so example with Nicodemus. Yeah. Nicodemus comes to Jesus mm-hmm. and, and the, they have this whole talk and, and, and Jesus uses the example of the, the wind blows, you know, and it, and it goes where it will. You know, the same thing with the Spirit of God. Like, we know at, in the same way, like in 1 Corinthians, it's like the cross is foolishness. Like, mm-hmm. unless... Unless God, the Spirit of God opens our mm-hmm. eyes to see, mm-hmm. we will not believe. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no way apart from God's grace allowing you to see that you would believe. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when we talk about this, this choosing, like, if you are honest with yourself and look back over your life and certain things that happened to you, mm-hmm. um, it's, e- it's either made, it's either hardened you or it's either softened you. To God, where God is able to, you know, in some ways break you, but still it, it's allowed you to receive. So, like when we talk about man choosing from a Calvinistic standpoint, like the things that God has brought in our life has led us to that point. And so, when it comes to this, the, to not muddle it, but when it comes to the point of responding to the call of God. God has been actively allowing things uh, not to necessarily um, manipulate our choice, but but in a sense to make it because it is our choosing in the sense that we respond to God's call. However, we still recognize like unless God did the work to get us there, we would never choose him. Oh, yeah. And we so wouldn't. there is choice, right? There is choice. We see in Romans, mm-hmm. um, everyone is guilty. Mm-hmm. We see like creation points to God. And so we do have this aspect of choosing God, but we only choose God because he first chose us. Like, yeah. that, and, and, and I don't know if that helps. No, it probably the idea is probably this. Made people I, more I think, let me, let me, let me uh, simplify what you just said, right? Yes. I mean, God doesn't say that here is the cross. Choose me if you will. God doesn't say that. What when He saves His electing grace? What does what does the Holy Spirit do? Is that the Holy Spirit works in people who are dead in their sin and in their trespasses, and then the Holy Spirit regenerates their heart to bring them to faith, mm. and so that they may respond to God with their faith, and they then and then the Holy Spirit assures us our salvation. Yes, that's so, that is essentially what I was trying to say. Right, Thanks. and so you know, and that's that's the simple thing is that God. And, and the Arministic view is that, you know, God tells that, you know, here's the cross, choose if you will. Yeah. Calvinist view is that here's the cross and God is not only giving you to choose, not only asking you to choose him, but he's also working in your heart to choose him. Right. Right. And that's the fact, the comfort I find over here, that one is that, you know, the electing grace and the doctrine of predestination gives me so much comfort in the knowing this fact that if God has elected someone, then that person will be saved. Yeah. 
and because GSS debt is not going to go in there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like so, one thing that I one one sad thing that I feel for my Armenian brothers is the the burden that they have for sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the burden that they carry, yes, is did I turn someone away mm. from the gospel? Yeah. You know, did I yeah. say with what I said? Did I say enough? Mm-hmm. Or did I say, essentially, yeah. it's based upon them to yeah. help get someone saved, yeah. you know, and, and that's a huge, huge burden, burden to carry. Yeah. I know that burden. Yeah. And so for me, when I would share the gospel with people as an Armenian, the the gospel presentation was dependent, not just, it wasn't dependent on the power of the gospel, mm-hmm. but there was you know, some other things that I carry, what, you know, the eloquence in my words or um, the way I looked or the mm-hmm. way I dressed, because the person is, if they rejected the gospel, it wasn't because God was, you know, they, um, they were offended by God. They were more so in some way offended by me. Mm. Um, and so the temptation then came to maybe alter myself or yeah. alter the way I presented the gospel, yeah. unfortunately. Right. And I think a lot of Armenians carry that view. Right. Uh, some way or another, if someone doesn't respond to the gospel, right. it's it's not because they're offended and God hasn't opened their eyes, but it's more so because of something I didn't say or something I did mm. say. Yeah. That's such a big burden, though, man. I mean, that that would, that's the burden that will keep you up at night, too, right? Mm, yeah. But and and then also one of the critic that I hear for from my Armenian friends is this: that you know, the at least in their view of doctrine of election, everyone has opportunity to be saved. That's what mm. they say because because there's opportunity for everyone. But think about this: it sounds good in paper, but not in reality. Because not everyone has opportunity to be saved. Because there are still millions today in the world that have not heard the gospel. There are millions in the world that have died without hearing the gospel. Mm-hmm. So you can say everyone has opportunity to be saved. But not even in your own theology, not everyone has opportunity to be saved. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Because there are so many people that... Yeah, I mean, like, know, if you say that right. everyone has the opportunity to be saved, then that means... Everyone has had the gospel presented to presented them. to them, and if if God was for if God was an equal opportunity redeemer, right? If if that was God, mm-hmm. then He would have made sure that everyone had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Or if you go back further, He would have never just chose Israel mm-hmm. as the one um, to pick out of all the nations. Yeah. He would have chose every single nation. Every whole world. If God wants, He can write the gospel in the cloud or in the sun so everyone can see it. Mm-hmm. Is He able to? Yes. But He doesn't. That's not His plan. Yeah. Right? And, I, so, and I think the point is, like we're trying to show you, is that God choosing has been there from the beginning. Beginning. Yeah. So uh, why don't you give us some examples of God's choosing? Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So... Acts 13, 48. Mm. Um, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. What are you going to do with that word ordained? Right. (laughs) Um, Another example. 
Romans 11 and 7, and this is dealing with Israel. Yeah. Israel failed to obtain what is sought. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Mm. So even in this special nation that God chose out of all the nations, even within this group, there were some that were saved and some that weren't saved. And that word elect shows up. Mm -hmm. uh, but the rest were hardened, as right. it says. Uh, one of the big famous ones is uh, with Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ro nine. if we go to Romans 9, verses 11 through 13, uh, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, mm -hmm. either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, mm -hmm. but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. You know, read verse 14 and 15. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. What are you going to do with those verses? That's like a that's like a mic drop. <laughs> that's like a mic drop verse. You know, and the thing is, like, we we want to pull God down to, and that's a temptation that we all have. Mm -hmm. Like, as humans, we want to pull God down to fit Him in this box right. that we want Him to fit in. Right. And so we start thinking, like, well, that's not justice. That's yeah. not fair. Mm -hmm. It's injustice. How is God going to save some and not right. all? Or how is God going to pick some and right. not pick others? And there comes a point, too, in this walk and with your theology, you just got to let God be yeah. God. Right, right, you right. You know, so... Right. He, Go ahead. And I want to respond to that. God, the people that say that, you know, how is that justice, right? That's injustice. God saves some and God doesn't save the others. Mm -hmm. Let me reemphasize this. Again, back to my first view. God is not obligated to save anyone. Mm -hmm. Let's understand that. God is not obligated to save anyone, but God saves some. So as uh, one of my favorite preacher, R.C. Sproul says this very famously. God provides mercy to some. He provides justice to the rest. Deservedly, He provides injustice to no one. Mm -hmm. So think through this. God provides mercy to some. He's not obligated to, but He does. In His electing grace, we read it, through, because of His will, He provides justice to the rest, mm -hmm. and He provides injustice to none. And so when I think yeah. about, whenever, when I think about as a Calvinist, as an Augustinian, as a Christian, I believe in two realities about election. First is that God is not obligated to save anyone. Second, God does save some mm -hmm. because of his electing grace. I'm going to give you um, uh, another verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Mm. Uh, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved, by the Lord, because God chose you yeah. as the first fruits to be saved mm. through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Um, but check this out. Like I read that verse first specifically, but check out the preceding verses. And with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. 
in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And I think this mm. gives you a glimpse on, on in, in two sides. So um, the first side is here, here we see um, some aspect of man where he is denying or rejecting the truth. Yeah. Um, because he loves uh, unrighteousness. He loves sin. Um, one thing I remember in John, uh, the book of John, I think three, when the light comes, uh, man tries to hide from it. Mm. Uh, so we see like man's desire to do unrighteousness. Like we saw it all the way back with Noah. Remember right. with Noah, like everyone was, it was, Sin running rampant. Um, but also, too, we see some part where God gives this gives these people a strong delusion so that they will actually not believe the truth, but believe what is false. Mm -hmm. And so how is that possible if man has this free will where right. he can at some point then decide, you know what, I'm no longer going to believe what's right. false, but believe the truth. Truth, yeah. So... That is just right. food for thought, I guess, without Absolutely. going more into it. Absolutely. And so, you know, when we think about this, uh, when I think about election, the topic of election, and then I look at my own life, right, and I think about my own salvation, you know, this is not to really make me prideful. Mm. And, and I have seen so many of my Calvinist friends that are arrogant and prideful and that it kind of like drove me away in the beginning to be honest but but I'm thankfully I wrestled with it I, I went and studied myself and you know the thankful to Holy Spirit that really revealed the truth to me but now when I think about my life one thing that sin has taught me is that you know I would have never chosen God if it was up to me I would have never chosen God I'm saved and I still sin I still fall into temptation mm -hmm. so Without, without, even with salvation, I'm still so sinful in nature. Without salvation, I mean, how would I ever choose God? Mm -hmm. And so, so if it was not up to God and completely His work, I would not have been saved. And so, so what, what election really helps me when I talk about this or talk about others or talk to my Armenian brothers is it demands humility in my part. Yes. That I am saved, not because I'm bitter, than anyone else or even my Armenian brother. I am saved solely because of sovereign grace of God. Yeah. So it demands humility, not pride. Yeah, I, you know, um, when you see and come to the realization and, and, and admit it, like, there is nothing good in me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you can do something nice. All right. But when we talk about when we talk, and that's the thing, like our th idea of good versus what God's idea of good right. is, our our good is so much lower. Mm -hmm. And again, we could always, to point to the, the Ten Commandments just as an example, like give me one of those commands that you haven't broken. Mm. And if if you've broken those commands, God declares you not good. Right. A good man would never break any of those commands. And the only man that I know of that didn't break those commands was Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ himself. Absolutely. So uh, our idea of good is not really good according to God. 
it's very low. So the same thing, I have that same response of humility. Yeah. Like when I look at myself and see that there's nothing good in me apart from Christ, um, I am I'm humbled by this yeah. because that tells me then um, I would never choose God. Yeah. But also, and God chooses, he could have, he could have not selected me. Yeah. But so it's not a thing of pride. Right. Like, oh, God picked me. Right. Because there was something good right. in me. There was nothing good no. in me. No. And even in the the very basic understanding of what election is to choose, God could have just went, you, you, you. Yeah. Oh, not you. Yeah. I could have been a not you. Yeah. And when I when I wrestle with that in my mind, I know that there's nothing I could have said, there's nothing that I could have did to make God choose me. Yeah. And it's really a scary thought. Yeah. It is. It is. So it, it results in humility mm -hmm. and it results in praise that my salvation Absolutely. is by the grace Absolutely. of God. Hallelujah. Yep. Hallelujah. Right. I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, so, so, so here are a few ways that God helps me in this, right? I mean, it gives me confidence in my salvation because I'm not the one who's saving myself. Because if I was the one who's saving myself, I would have lost it. Mm -hmm. I would have messed it up, right? So it is God who saves. It gives us the assurance of salvation. Mm -hmm. Makes me confident. Second is, you know, it helps me comforted while sharing the gospel. Like you mentioned, I'm not as burdensome. In, in not, not with the wrong motivation. I'm burdensome for the gospel to reach out to the world, but I'm not burdensome where like, you know, I'm so worried about what I'm going to say or how right. I dress or how I present the message. Right. I am comforted by the fact that I'm just a messenger and God is the one who saves. Right. Right. God uses our words and the spirit either reveals right. it to them or he doesn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the last one, in my, in my opinion, is that like what you mentioned. Understanding my salvation, understanding his election will lead me into really singing his name, singing praises of his name and really glorifying his name and really singing hallelujah to him. Mm -hmm. Because if it wasn't up to him, then I would have been, I would not have been saved. I mean, yeah. there's nothing in me that, that I'm worthy of. Right. right? And so, so for, uh, let me, let me, let me, in the end, let me, let me ask you, let me tell one thing uh, before we go to the verses of the day, uh, unless you have something, did one. But, uh, you know, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we don't go share the gospel like thinking, oh, this guy might be elect, that guy might not be elect. We don't know who is elect, right? Mm -hmm. Only God knows. He's the one who chose. Yeah. So we don't go with that motivation, like, I'm going to share the gospel to him, <laughs> and he rejected today, so he might not be an elect. I'm going to go to someone else. No, you can... You go share the gospel to everyone. That's what we are commanded. We don't, we're, we're not commanded to share the gospel to the elect. We're commanded to share the gospel to the world. Mm -hmm. And then leave it up to God to save His people. All right. You know, and, and I encourage you, um, you all that when you share the gospel, and so, so say like you are, um, you believe in God's grace and all of that, just to encourage you to uh, with sharing the gospel. You know, sometimes in the process of salvation, because God, like we said, God is working by his spirit to open their eyes to see. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we want that quick 
you share the gospel. Yeah. Oh, I believe. Da, da, da. Usually, I would be mostly wary of those ones because mm -hmm. usually those might be the ones yeah. who accept the word of God. And then, you know, as the Bible talks about with the soils, like they have no root. Mm. So when the sun comes, which are mm -hmm. the trials, yeah. it scorches it and it dies off. Yeah. You know, I think really uh, a lot of uh, believers, true believers, they count the cost. Yeah. You know, we're talking about suffering. We're talking about so many different mm -hmm. things, you know, like losing friendships. Right. So many different things that come with following Christ. Right. Um, so, you know, when you go to share the gospel, maybe they don't believe initially. Yeah. You know, you share the gospel with them and they're like, eh, you know, and so you plant the seed. Yeah. You also may be the person in the process where you share the gospel with someone. You're not the first person. Yeah. You might be the person watering the seed. All right. You know, but God, right. as the Bible says, is the one that gives the increase. Right. If that seed grows and and matures and comes into a plant that's going to bear fruit, that's up to God. Yeah. Uh, and so just be encouraged and know that, like, when you share the gospel, you don't have that initial response from them accepting it. But you've done what God has called you to do. Right. And let God be the one to open their eyes. Right. Absolutely. So, so you know, contrary to what people say about Calvinists, you know, they, 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 they say that the Calvinist doctrine will discourage evangelism. Actually, it's the opposite. Yeah. Right. It actually encourages evangelism. Right. Right. Because it, it just takes the burden off of us and really helps us to be the messenger and leave it up to God for the fruit. Mm. Yeah. And so let's, let's go back to our verses of the day in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to 11 and uh, and let's let's look into this and see uh, gather our thought into last uh, gather our last thoughts I would say that's one read it read for us uh, read Ephesians again yeah okay all right let me pull it up real quick all right um Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in mm. love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Uh, jumping down to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, mm. so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We didn't talk about that. Mm -mm. We didn't talk about God's glory and Calvinistic. That's yeah. all right. And him, <laughs> you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of, with the promised Holy Spirit, right. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory right last thoughts last thoughts um i think my last thoughts actually is going to be um i think it's actually going to be romans 11. Ooh. Um, <sighs> let me see i think i'm so verse 11, um, or chapter 11, and verse 6, hmm. but if it is by, wait, verse 5, sorry. 
So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Mm. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Mm. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Mm. So, you know, I'm faced with all throughout Scripture where I see God is the active initiator in our mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by God's grace and yeah. by grace alone mm-hmm. and faith alone. Mm-hmm. Through Him, we are saved. Our faith that we have came from God. Mm-hmm. The grace that leads to salvation, repentance, conversion, mm-hmm. all of these elements of salvation, glorification, all of these things is done by mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. I'm faced with, you know, one of the things that always comforts me when I think about the disciples. And by the way, Christ chose the disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you want to be a stickler and use the example of when they cast lots after Judas hung himself, even in that, that was a form of God being right. the one that you, they didn't say this man. Yeah. They cast lots mm-hmm. and where it landed, that was the Let one. God choose. Yeah. <laughs> God chose. Yeah. Um, But even with God choosing the disciples, I love the example of Peter. Mm. Because Peter was the one where obviously he denied Christ. He Mm -hmm. walked with Christ. He denied him. And and Jesus says, I prayed for you, Peter. Mm. I pray. God, Jesus is the one who intercedes. He's the one yeah. who, who has made the way for us. So we see even with Peter, after the n- denial of uh, saying, I don't know that man, he was still mm-hmm. saved. Yeah. And you get a glimpse of other parts in his life where he messed up. But we see that God is the one who saved him. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm encouraged by that. Your last thoughts. <laughs> So I'm going to go with the verse too, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, when I think about salvation, I think about God the Father electing, choosing people and giving it to His Son. I see Son dying on the cross for them. And I see the Holy Spirit applying the work of Christ and bringing them to faith. So I see the divine trinity working together. And, and in uh, John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that Father gives me, All that Father has chosen, elected, and given to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What a comforting verse. So so I go back to what what R.C. Spall said. You know, God is not obligated to provide mercy to anyone, but He provides mercy to some. He provides justice to the rest, but He provides injustice to no one. That's the God we believe. Boom. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in with us. Uh, we pray that this um, causes you to search the scriptures more. And we, uh, we pray for, um, we just pray for you guys that mm-hmm. you would receive this um, and you would see if it's true. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.